at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, college football season's here. Happy Syracuse's 1-0 week. Yeah, the season's actually here. Syracuse has played an actual game against an opponent. Um, whether they're actual or not is really up to you. Uh, but yeah, they beat Colgate. They're 1-0. Um, some people might not be super thrilled about a 33-7 to victory versus maybe some other larger wins across the country. But you know what? I'm fine with it. I saw a lot of points left on the board um, by way of the offense slowing down, by way of settling for field goals. Um, we still won by 26. I'm not going to complain, especially knowing um, what we do uh, know from a lot of the players um, that you know they, they really didn't do much in terms of the playbook, and that's, uh, that's very encouraging. Yeah, I mean, I, I I enjoyed the game because I thought it was a solid performance to begin with, and you could also see like where there were still areas for growth. This wasn't a, a finished product by any means, and they still did what they needed to do against an FCS opponent. Um, and like you said, like there were the offense stalled out a lot in the uh, the opponents half of the field. Um, obviously, you know there were you you could tell it was it was not uh, a team that's been running this offense forever. But considering that it's it's week one and we've heard so much about like that year and a half span where it uh, really takes to take hold, um, I think things are pretty encouraging. Uh, and obviously, it's such a radical departure from what we're used to. Like it didn't it would have taken a lot for me to be very happy with how things went. And uh, I think they they definitely met expectations, if not exceeded them. Yeah, I mean, if you told me um, you know before the game that you know wading into the offense, quote unquote, for for Eric Dungy was you know, completing 85% of your passes, um, throwing for two touchdowns, looking so much sharper than you did last year, making so many smarter decisions, avoiding big hits, throwing for 355 yards pretty much effortlessly. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with, you know, him starting off the game, hitting Phillips for four straight completions with Colgate defenders seemingly nowhere to be found, um, as they all kind of seemed, at least... You know, I since we don't have the all twenty-two on this, I didn't really see the full kind of depth of how much um, Ishmael was doubled early in that game. But I would assume that's part of the reason why he was able to continually dump it off to Phillips and then hit uh, Etatawo deep a couple times. But yeah, I think you know, considering Dungy always looks quick to adapt, um, I felt that him being quick to adapt maybe took a quarter or two, and he still looked again great. Um, for most of the game, um, even as Colgate seemed to, um, at, in equal parts, kind of adapt themselves and also wear down um, a, as a group, and they were just kind of struggling to get new bodies and to keep up with the pace of play. Yeah, uh, and I really didn't mind uh, how things opened. Like you said, uh, we just went over and over to Phillips. Obviously, he had the receptions record, and then uh, obviously uh, Edatawo that made his presence known in a big way as things progressed, but it almost reminded me of like playing like an older football video game where you like knew there was one play that you could <laughs> almost guarantee would get you a first down, and it changed like every year. There was always like a different play because they'd go and fix the one, and then another one would like just kind of break the game, and it would kind of get boring. Um, if Dino Babers put into the play football, he would just run that play every play yep. and would score eighty points a game. Um, and I appreciate that's how he handles the real life situation. If they're going to leave Ver Phillips on an island and give him eight yards a catch on a pot on an easy you know pot pass, it's uh, that's what he's going to run. And I I believe it when they said that uh, this week that they really didn't open up a lot of the playbook because you know why bother? You a you have a simple playbook that uh, is built on these uh, run pass options and these other concepts that build in a lot of options on a single play. So when that's already uh, diversifies what you can do on a play to play basis. Um, with just a, a small amount of uh, of what actually consists of the full playbook, like why 
bring out all your guns. And obviously every team that plays an FCS early in the year is probably going to try to hide some things going forward. But um, it really does seem like there's a lot more that we haven't seen yet, and we'll see uh, dead unveiled in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I, I, I'm very happy with how things went. Uh, it, it was just really nice to see a game called by someone who, who clearly just lives within that offense and knows exactly what he wants, and, and everything just kind of fits together and makes sense. Uh, so much different. Uh, then basically, like, except for the second half of 2012, which we always bring up, like that offense, right at the midway point when they started rolling, that offense made a lot of sense. It was very logical. Things fit together. Uh, but that was only a half a year. Uh, and this one, even if things aren't totally polished and totally hammered out, you still kind of understand why things are happening the way they're happening. And if things you know don't work, it's, it's likely either a physical mistake, which is way more uh, reasonable and, and people, you know, you can forgive that. Or, you know, the defense just made a good call. So, um, I think there's a lot of positives. Far more positives than negatives to take away from the season opener. Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I I definitely applauded when Babers arrived, the kind of, you know, beautiful simplicity of the, of the beer and shoot that uh, that he really goes with. I mean, it, it's, it's very simple. It's a lot simpler than Baylor's offense, I think, to be honest, and a lot simpler than a lot of the other spreads. I think Oregon's is a pretty complicated spread. Um, you know, not even going down the full list. I just feel like there's a lot of things that can get overly complicated in a lot of these offenses. I felt like Syracuse's old offense, while it sucked, was also overly complicated with, with way too many things going on. And some of the players even said as much that just plays just weren't getting in correctly at times. Here, I feel like, you know, it was it was easy. It was plug and play. Um, you know, you can just... I mean, Dungy really just had to do uh, the same thing a lot. He de- dealt with a lot of four wide, uh, he was able to, you know, make some some reads at the line. Um, he incorporated play action at the right times. I think I, I saw. I don't know if you read the play calling article, um, but I think on play action calls, he was something like nine for ten for like two hundred and eighty yards and like a touchdown. I mean, like you can't doubt those results. I think if there's one place that I would get a little concerned, it's the run game, um, where I didn't really feel like we ran the ball well. Um, and that's against, you know, while a good Colgate defense for the FCS level, uh, still a very undersized defense compared to the things we're going to see um, from a lot of other teams. And if there's any indication of, you know, from just week one, um, you know, Florida State was able to take apart a spread that didn't really have a run game uh, pretty easily in the second half and, and, and made Old Miss look like a, a, a team that didn't really have its pieces together in offense. Yeah, I think that's a fair concern. Um, I think a lot of it is uh, the O-line is still a work in progress, I think, um, especially on the run, run blocking, pass blocking. A lot of any issues they have, uh, a lot of it's going to be mitigated by the fact that Dungy's getting the ball out super quick. Um, run blocking, you know, I, I think the, the group will get better as the year goes on, but that, that definitely wasn't uh, wasn't the strong suit with the team averaging, what, 3.3 yards a carry. Uh, not, not great, but um, I think we can... I think that will improve during the year. It's, it's a fairly young offensive line, a uh, very young running back core. Um, and even then, like, we, we saw some bright spots. Moniel obviously had the one massive run, uh, didn't do a ton else, but, like, he was, like, that just kind of proved exactly why he was a big recruit and why everyone, you know, was very excited to get him um, on the heels of, like, all the Robert Washington shenanigans. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely the thing you can point to on the offensive side. But even then, it's, it's one game... Um, and it's probably not a, a, a correct sample size to totally judge it on, but uh, that does definitely seem like it's going to be the, the weaker part of, of the offense, and I still think we have some players there, so hopefully that will uh, continue to develop. Oh, without a doubt. I think, you know, the one, and we, you and I talked about this numerous times during the offseason, even last week, is uh, the lack of a, a short yardage option, um, you know, it is going to be disconcerting. Uh, week over week, it's gonna. It's something that you know Joel Shaw was kind of supposed to um, fix. Obviously, he's not on campus, so that couldn't happen. Um, I would have liked to see Fredericks a little bit more, um, just because we were struggling in the red zone. And you know, Strickland, while seemed to get some uh, some you know top back kind of billing um, throughout the the off season from Babers and his staff, it just didn't seem like he was able to really move the pile much. Um, again, you know, this is one game; things can change, but. Seeing that, seeing Neil kind of struggle outside that you know forty-nine yard run, that was really impressive. Um, I am a little concerned about that. I'm a little concerned about 
some of the problems that you know I noted again in, in that play calling article, uh, some of the stuff with the right side of the line, where the team really was not able to run the ball to the right side, but did find some success to the left. Um, I think Babers kind of alluded to a little bit of that, and that's why you saw maybe some changes in the depth chart this week um, when he was asked about the right tackle position in particular. Um, so that's definitely something to watch. Another thing that I thought was a good thing to watch, um, you know, you and I have been pretty high at Itawo, uh for a couple months now. It was nice to see that kind of come to fruition uh, very quickly to the tune of being the country's leading receiver right now. Um, he's arguably our best, like, deep threat um, since Marcus Sales, I'd, I'd kind of toss out there. Uh, I just think that, you know, Dungy's deep ball looks so much better in this offense, um, especially with the help of, you know, the play action. I think even if the run game wasn't working, he was still sucking in the defense and keeping them honest with both the play action and running the ball. And again, you know, another thing I mentioned in the article was that Edatawa was actually a really good blocker. You saw kind of those bunch formations at the bottom um, that they did a few different times, and they kind of just had, you know, him and would look like, you know, Phillips or, or Esteem and Ishmael kind of bunched down there. And then it, in those cases, it rarely went to Edatawa, but Edatawa was able to, um, you know, really throw some nice blocks in, in those small uh, quarters. Uh, so, yeah, in general, I thought Edatawa, uh, you know, was probably your best player in the offense just because of his versatility, the big chunks he was able to pick up. But that doesn't take away from the, the roles everybody else played, where I felt, you know, um, I feel like every member of the, at least the skill positions uh, really did carve out a nice niche for themselves in game one. Yeah, I think that's a good point with the uh, Edatawa's blocking it. And Ishmael has proven um, to be a very good blocker in his first couple of years, too. And that's really important when you have a very screen-based offense. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why uh, Irv Phillips was able to uh, have as much success as he did uh, and caught all those passes. Um so that I mean that's definitely encouraging and and, and it, it actually works out really well how a lot of these guys fit and obviously Atatawa was brought in after Babers came, but um, it, it's interesting that at the still positions he, he I don't know if he even researched the team I forget what he said before when he the job I don't think he it sounded like he did too much um, I know some of his assistants did but it, it almost seems like uh, he chose Syracuse um, and it, it just happens that a lot of these still offensive still position players. Uh, really fit into his scheme quite well. Uh, defensively, on the other hand, we're playing with uh, a team that is designed for an entirely different defense, even within the 4-3 scheme. Um, and we saw some of the issues on that side of the ball, uh, especially early. Obviously, they ended up putting the clamps on Colgate, but I think that was more of a talent thing. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how both those sides need to progress, considering uh, what the, the players were recruited for and what they're being asked to do now. And I think overall... Um, you can't have a lot of complaints from this game. Obviously, it's, it's Colgate, so things will get tougher. But uh, everyone seems to be acquitting themselves quite well. Maybe that 18 months is going to turn into like a year or, you know, three quarters of a year before things start to really uh, hit, uh, pick up speed. I would take three quarters of a year um, based on the last four games we have. Uh, it would be uh, there would be some advantageous timing on our end to, to suddenly have everything click. Yeah, I mean, I would take, you know, maybe next week. Maybe if, if things just want to flip uh, for the Louisville game, that'd be great, too. Yeah, click on Friday, guys. Um, moving to the other side of the ball, I think I've seen kind of every sort of opinion about what happened on the defensive side. Um, I'm usually skew, skewing towards negative on the Syracuse defensive late in general. Uh, I, I didn't hate what happened. Um, I thought that they did a really nice job, especially considering they didn't get a sack until the fourth quarter when the game was already in hand. They didn't force a turnover, and they were still able to look pretty good, um, all things considered. That said, Dan, like, what what concerned you most about a defense that I don't really feel like looked amazing, especially on that first drive when they were kind of worked up and down the field? Yeah, I mean, I think the defense is just going to kind of be uh, a bit of a struggle all year. Um, and, and like I said, these are guys that were brought in to play this very attacking uh athletic style of defense where you're going to have a lot of blitzers, a lot of, uh, you know, these varied blitzing schemes and different looks. And, and this is very much not that defense where I think in an ideal world, we'd have bigger linebackers uh, with some more coverage skills. We'd have uh, some, you know, bigger defensive end, just like a different type of player. And you kind of see that in recruiting. Um, and instead we're, you know, kind of plugging in, 
maybe not slurp heads in the round holes, but they're definitely not, you know, perfectly carved for the situations that they are uh, being asked to do. And I thought generally things went pretty well. And again, this is also an FCS offense they're facing. And uh, after that first drive, they really did, you know, pretty much shut them down. But um, I think we're going to have some really ugly moments. One might come on Friday because Lamar Jackson is uh, a pretty freakish athlete, a quarterback for Louisville. Um, but overall, I, I think we're just going to have to have some patience. And uh, I hope our fans enjoy shootouts because we're probably going to get a couple of those this year. Yeah, quite a few. And you know what? I, I don't think it would be the worst thing if Friday was one of them. Um, figure maybe for, for a little bit more time you know, in this first half of the podcast, maybe we talk a little bit about Louisville's effort against Charlotte before we turn our attention to you know, how Louisville and Syracuse um, match up. Um, obviously, Lamar Jackson was kind of seen as a sleeper uh, Heisman guy, and, and Louisville um, was seen as a sleeper ACC contender, um, despite the fact that they were facing Charlotte, who is god-awful as a program. Um, I think both of those uh, thoughts you know, really kind of held true um, in that win. They won 70-14. to 14. The game was over by halftime. Um, Jackson accounted for eight touchdowns. was pretty much about as terrifying as you could be as a player. Um, and, and despite all that, I would say his, his passing game still has room to grow. Um, you know, he was, he was accurate, but not amazingly so, considering the level of competition. He really didn't throw the ball that much to begin with. Um, obviously, you know, 7 for 23, so not, you know, not Navy-type numbers necessarily, but um, definitely wasn't throwing at a, at a crazy rate. But, you know, what he did with his legs was really the, the scary part and, and the part that, that also kind of helped... Um, you know, maybe gloss over um, the fact that the the Louisville running game, while good, you know, wasn't really amazing outside of what he was doing with it. Um, you know, 11 carries, 119 yards. Um, that's 11 yards per. Uh, he had a 36-yarder, scored two touchdowns. In general, I'd say Jackson's skill is still um, very much based on um, his ability to run the ball. Um, but Dan, who else maybe from that game really stuck out to you as, as someone that we need to fear? Um, it's it's Jackson. <laughs> like, he's definitely <laughs> the guy. Um, what is pretty uh, incredible to me looking at their stat sheet, he just completed passes to everyone. Like, they had uh, just an absurd amount of guys who, who uh, recorded catches uh, between him and Kyle Bolin, who came in pretty much at halftime because they decided to just you know, take Jackson uh, off after eight touchdowns. Um, Jamari Staples looked really good. Uh, He was their leading receiver, four catches for 83. Um, But they, for a couple of years now, have had a a really diverse uh, group of receivers. Um, A lot of uh, names you'll probably recognize if you've watched Louisville at all the last couple of years. Reggie Bonifant, a former quarterback. uh, James Quick, LJ Scott. Um, So I think it's that depth and receiving talent and uh, the amount of athletes they have which is really the scary part. But Jackson, he's the guy. I mean, I don't think he's going to be their leading rusher this year, but it's definitely on the table, and he was last week uh, with 119 yards. Um, I don't think he's a super polished passer, but he, he definitely gets the job done, and I think his, his legs kind of make him more dangerous on uh, both ends, and he can really sling it down the field. Um, so, yeah, he's going to be uh, pretty terrifying. Um, I think if, if, if Syracuse's defense can hold Louisville under 40, uh, I think that would be a pretty nice accomplishment, honestly, and uh, hopefully SU can put up some points because Louisville's defense, while probably not as, I don't know that they're quite as good as they've been in years past, it's tough to tell based on uh, damage in Charlotte. Um, it's, uh, I, I think there's a, a decent chance Syracuse will be able to uh, put some points on the board as well, um, especially considering that their head coach seems terrified and uh, strangely like railing against an offense he's never faced um, that's played one game. So... We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I, I think a shootout is the best kind of bet for Syracuse, especially, you know, with a lot of these games. I mean, Louisville doesn't play a slow-paced offense by any means. I think uh, Florida State plays a pretty even-killed offense, but they're still going to run a lot more plays than maybe SU did last year. Clemson, Florida State played like ran uh, 91 plays last game, which yeah, is I mean, like a for a pro-style offense, that's pretty crazy. Well, it's also because Ole Miss had no idea how to run the ball and quickly turned yeah. it over. So, I mean, that's part Very of it. Very true. Yeah. 
But, like, you know, Clemson obviously plays a fast pace. North Carolina plays a fast pace. Virginia Tech's going to get itself ramped up to a faster pace. I mean, almost half the conference, at the very least, is going to run at a, a decent clip. Um, so it doesn't necessarily become an element of surprise that you're going to run at this tempo um, in ACC play, which could be problematic if you ever want to take down maybe those top three in the Atlantic. But it's going to allow you to be a consistent winner over the other three. Um, you know, NC State, who was sort of supposed to be running a little bit of a spread, but I've never seen it. Um, I don't know that NC State has an offensive identity. No, which is weird because I thought, I thought that was the reason why Doran was hired and ends up that, no, Jordan Lynch was your your offensive identity. <laughs> Congrats. You based your entire offense and hiring at NC State on one play. So cool for you guys. Um, looking around a little bit more, um, one of the things we were talking about on the site quite a bit today and for listeners yesterday uh, Chain Gazi, or Chain Gate, if you must. Um, Bobby Petrino made two different comments on both Tuesday and Wednesday about uh, the legality of the, uh, the speed Syracuse was lining up at. Uh, that seemed pretty stupid, even for college football. Um, and it just got dumber and dumber. We kind of stoked the fire where we could, in part just because chaos is fun and making jokes at Bobby Petrino's expense is extra fun. Um, Dan, your thoughts on this non-controversy? Uh, it's really, really stupid. Like, it, it really, like college football, I should not be surprised at something a coach says. Um, pretty much every coach has uh, a really bad moment pretty much yearly. Um, I don't think Babers has yet, but I'm sure he'll say something that we're all, like, face palm over just because that's what college football coaches do. Something about uh, our but, probably. Oh, you know, honestly, that's going to be what it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is just – so unnecessary. It's based on literally one game against an FCS opponent. Um, no one, and it's not like this offense is brand new. Bryles ran it for what seven, eight years at Baylor, um, and has been running it at like optimum efficiency for what three or four years, probably. Uh, obviously, Babers ran it at Bowling Green for two years, and Eastern Illinois for two years. Uh, Tulsa's running it now. Texas just ran it to uh, really impressive results the other night against Notre Dame. So this thing, it's like it's not a hugely widespread thing. Um, I think it will be in a couple of years. That uh, I'm kind of glad that Syracuse is ahead of the curve on it, um, especially seeing what Texas did to Notre Dame. Um, but like, this isn't like some this isn't like the uh, some crazy invention that just came up in 2015. So or 2016. So just very strange, and, and it pretty clearly wasn't uh, a rule because uh, I think if it was a rule, uh, which we now know it, it isn't. Um, it would have been called because I don't think referees just totally miss an entire setting of the game for like an entire game. Like it might happen once or twice, but uh, if that was a thing that was a major concern, I think a Paul Gates coaches would have probably said something uh, or any of the, any of the opposing coaches in the Mac for two years. Um, It just, I don't know. It was probably a a totally ridiculous thing to bring up the first time. And the fact that he just made it like a week long uh, point of discussion um, almost like it almost seemed like he was trying to build into an excuse uh, for after the game, even though by all accounts, like Louisville should win this game. They are a prohibitive favorite, and rightfully so. They have a more talented team. They are well established within their system. Um, but it, it seemed like he was strangely like excuse building when you wouldn't think that they would be uh, they would that would be necessary at this point. Yeah, you're right there. I know others have pointed that out too. Like what, Dan? Have you seen another coach do this of late? And, like, what, what's really the benefit of, of excuse building against a significant underdog here? Um, I don't know that I've seen a coach do it recently and for, like, one game. Obviously, we've had, uh, like, Brett Bielema a year or two ago talking about how up-tempo offenses were, like, dangerous for the sport and, like, uh, caused more injuries, which was totally debunked. Um, so you see a lot of it on, like, a grander scale. But in terms of, like, just one matchup... Um, and like like we've said, like against a team that, by all accounts, it should not really be uh, a major threat, is bizarre. Um, but Bob Pacino is prone to some bizarre things, uh, as we all know. So <laughs> the most bizarre, some might argue. Yes, and, and you know Bob Pacino, like he runs a fast offense, and and if his lifestyle has shown anything, I mean he's not one that's generally opposed to speed, so it's definitely a confusing. <laughs> Confusing uh, mantle for him to take up. Well, well played. 
Um, why don't we hit uh, a little halftime, a little early, and then we can get into the actual specifics of the matchup and maybe talk about uh, some of the other things going on in college football. Obviously, it was a very busy and fun week, especially for those of us that, uh, that live and breathe the sport for the 13 weeks it, uh, it graces uh, the world with its presence. Cool. So, Dan, what have you been drinking? Um, so I've had a couple of decent things this week. Uh, not a new one, but uh, I know a pretty popular one, the Union Jack IPA from Firestone Walker, which you can find pretty uh, pretty much everywhere where there's at least a decent beer selection now. Uh, really rock-solid IPA, full-bodied, a lot of flavor. Um, I had a peach lager from Abita. Uh, most are probably familiar with their Purple Haze, which is literally everywhere. Um, the peach lager was really good. Uh, kind of an interesting combo. Um, very light, very easy to drink. Uh, not like overpoweringly sweet though, which is nice. Um, had a little something something from Lacanitis, another you know fairly common uh, favorite. Grapefruit Sculpin, obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you know I drink that pretty much every week. Uh, the most unique thing I had uh, was a beer from Stillwater Artisanal Ales, uh, which I believe is a Colorado brewery, but it sounds like they brew out of Baltimore. Um, I guess it's like a it's a I forget what the term is, but the the play the people are in Colorado and they ship out their their like brewing uh, thing to Baltimore. Um, it's uh, they have a lot of hip hop uh, themed beers, and this was a porter called "I Miss the Old Kanye." And uh, a friend brought it over for a fantasy draft last night, and I didn't expect much out of it because it seemed like you know this might just be kind of a gimmicky thing that they'll sell a couple bottles. It has uh, a, the the label is pretty much the same thing as his uh, Life of Pablo uh, album cover. Um, it's actually really, really good. Uh, I'm not a big Porter fan at all, uh, but this one uh, had a really nice, uh, almost like molassesy, fruity finish. Uh, was not like super uh, tough on the palate as Porters can be sometimes. Uh, I really enjoyed it uh, way more than I thought I would, and ended up drinking about half a bomber of it. So if you find that one anywhere, and I'm not sure how easy it is to find it all, I have no idea. Um, definitely recommend trying that out. Yeah, I'll take a look. Uh, also, of note. Dan, how's your fantasy draft going? Don't worry, I know uh, how it sounds. <laughs> it's uh, going pretty well. It's a fourteen-team league, um, that's, that's pretty big. which is challenging. I, my main, my main league last night was a live draft. This is a Yahoo draft. Uh, pretty happy with it so far. Not bad, not I just bad. drafted Michael Thomas from the Saints. All right. Go Buckeyes! All right. And on my end, what have I been drinking? Quite a bit. Uh, as mentioned, maybe last week a little bit. My uh, Buddies from college were in town, so it was definitely good to see them and definitely good to drink quite a bit. Um, some of the things that I had, uh, I had Trillium's Galaxy Dry Hop Four Point Pale Ale, uh, do some uh, some beer trading with some folks here and there, so got to enjoy uh, some stuff from Trillium. Had um, Alesmith's uh, San Diego Pale Ale, their 394, uh, in honor of Tony Gwynn. I've had Hop Saint over here. I've mentioned them a couple times. Their Maximum Chaos um, IPA. Also had Arts District, uh, which is over in downtown LA. Their Traction IPA. Sorry, just scrolling through stuff. Had uh, Abigail Brewing. Mentioned them again a couple times. Uh, their Red Woman. It's a Session Red IPA, which I hadn't had before. Uh, interesting concept, but definitely worked. Had Russian River's Blind Pig. Uh, Smog City recently released their uh, their Snuggle Bug. Um, it's their uh, kind of boysenberry and raspberry uh, sour blonde. Uh, they released batch number two, so had some of that. Also had um, a couple different brews from Monkish. They're eating other editors uh, IPA as well as Spoon Sweets. Which wait, I'm gonna get a description on this one. Ah, that's right. Their uh, barrel aged saison with cherries and hibiscus. Uh, really enjoyable one there. Uh, also got Act Out Emotions uh, from them. It's another IPA. Um, had Trillium's uh, Double Dry Hop Scaled IPA. And then stopped down over at Ballast Point in Long Beach, um, which is getting more and more crowded by the day. I don't know the next time I'm going to be back. Um, they had their uh, Yellow Bellied Slider. It's a Goza and... Yeah, that was pretty much it. A lot of different things. Good stuff. 
I haven't really do- dove into the fall beers yet, so uh, I'm holding out a little bit on that, but hopefully soon, probably. Oh, probably soon. I commend you on that. I know that must be difficult, knowing your uh, propensity for pumpkin. Yes, we'll get there. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so I guess looking at the specifics of the matchup, um, you know, we talk a little bit about Chaingate or Chaingazi, depending on your preference. Um, I don't think that's going to matter at all during the actual game. But uh, something that could matter during the game and should, likely. Um, both teams are kind of you know, going through some different paces maybe in practice this week uh, to prepare for the other's offense. Um, I know for Syracuse, they were using um, you know, walk-on QB uh, Mo Hassan to simulate Jackson's legs. Um, they said he was sneaky fast. They also admitted that you know, no one can really simulate Jackson. Um, having not really seen much tape on Hassan, I'm skeptical about how well it works, especially since I don't... I would think he's not really up to the same kind of pedigree in terms of passing. Um, Dan, do you think that it's good to just kind of make do with what you got, or should they have maybe gone a different route in terms of preparation on the Syracuse end? Um, I think it's tough to like to super overanalyze like a practicing, especially like this. Not like you have a Lamar Jackson like hanging out on campus anywhere. So you just kind of have to deal with it however you can. Um, you're not going to put Eric Dungy back there, who's you know a much he's an effective runner, but a much different player. Uh, the Lamar Jackson, and not nearly as like pure, purely fast. Uh, you're not gonna put him on stout team and have him get tackled. Uh, I mean, you just have the guys you have. Um, you could argue maybe putting a running back or receiver there, but Jackson, you know, can throw the ball. So there's no really great way to simulate a guy like that unless you have one in your team, and very few teams do. So you just have to prepare the best way you can, and and hopefully have very effective film prep where you can actually see you know him for real. So. Um, it is what it is. Like you just, you kind of have to uh, hope your guys are up to the task, but it's it's not going to be easy at all. No, not at all. And I think that you know, looking at the, kind of the article I pulled together um, from a couple different accounts from you know both our local guy Stephen Bailey, um, as well as uh, the Louisville Courier Journal's local guy Steve Jones. Uh, Jones seemed to indicate that uh, Louisville kind of gotten a head start on preparing for us by running the dime package. Um, almost exclusively last week against Charlotte. Uh, I don't really know Charlotte's quarterback situation. I'm not sure he's all that, excuse me, mobile. Um, and obviously they don't really run at the same pace that we do by any means, or even if they did, probably not with the same caliber of athletes. Um, that said, it seemed like the dime had worked out pretty well for them. It was going to work out pretty well again this week, at least. Um, they seemed to think so. They didn't seem all that phased. Um, by the speed uh, that SU presents, and I think one of the main reasons why um, was that uh, you know they were kind of able to rotate uh, Josh Harvey Clemens, uh, one of their star safeties, uh, kind of around uh, throughout the uh, defensive backfield and that back seven. Uh, the dime's going to play five or six defensive backs. He's going to be one of them, basically play like kind of a middle linebacker spot. And I know in the post I made a little bit of a comparison to you know, what the middle linebacker is in that Tampa 2 uh, that we run. Uh, that's, you know, not completely spot on, but I, I think, you know, at least if for fans maybe looking for a comparison point, um, it's not the worst place to start if you're looking for, you know, uh, kind of a reference on what this dime package will look like for them and how it might be able to put a stop um, to Syracuse. But, Dan, do you think that this dime is, is, is foolproof? especially with the athletes that, that Louisville has? Do you think that it, it has legs to really put a stop to us, or do you think that maybe there's some other wrinkles that we'll be able to toss in there, um, especially regarding, um, you know, Dungy's mobility? Um, I don't know that it's uh, foolproof by any means, um, but it, it, you know, it's uh, going to be pretty effective. It's, it's really tough to tell. The problem with, like, really breaking down stuff right, uh, right now, especially with Syracuse, is... It's a new staff, and you've only seen one game, and you've only seen one game against an FCS opponent where, admittedly, like not a lot was revealed. So it's really going to take uh, a lot more information. Um, otherwise, you're just going to be making crazy rash judgments. And I know that's like part of the fun of college football, but uh, it's tough to really project out um, how things are going to go. Like, this Louisville game might as well be kind of the first game of the season in terms of accurately 
seeing how things are going to fit and how things are going to work because not only is Louisville just way more talented than Colgate, but like they're a total departure stylistically um, on both sides of the ball. So uh, I think it's just uh, from even probably on the turf side, like you're just going to have to feel things out and and see what uh, what you can make work um, because it's it's not going to be a perfect fit because of. Uh, the new coaching staff and, and fitting guys into positions where they weren't recruited for and, and probably aren't most comfortable. So um, I think uh, it's going to be a Yemen's effort to, to upset Louisville here. Uh, it wouldn't be like the craziest thing that's ever happened by any means, but Louisville is a, a very legitimately talented team. So um, I'm interested to see how, how the, the game plans on both sides do work out. Um, but I, I don't know that anything can be like labeled as foolproof or like, you know, definitely going to work because uh, I think if you had asked uh, the Syracuse staff back in 2014, they probably thought the 3-4 defense in the Georgia Tech was like a great idea. So um, you never quite know until it actually goes out there in place. Oh, I think that time you might have quite known. If you had asked me ahead of time, I probably would have told you, yeah, that's a really dumb idea. Please don't. But uh, I'm not the pro ball coach who's making you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what do I know? Apparently nothing, if you think that that 3-4 wasn't going to work, Dan. <laughs> That's still one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. Dumbest. Dumbest effing thing. I was so angry, I turned it off. But those days are over. And, and I think that was one of the, the things I tried to celebrate in the play call uh, breakdown, was that, you know, we, at least in the foreseeable future, never have to go back to watching an offense that literally looked like it didn't know what it was doing. Nope. If they, if, I mean, I said last week, I think there will probably be a game this year where the offense just looks absolutely dreadful and is totally ineffective. And I'm sure there'll be like, there'll probably be a, a, a good dozen people on Twitter who are the worst and will say this is proof that this system doesn't work at the Power Five level and that uh, Babers is a fraud. And you just have to get past like any inkling of that because A, again, sample size, very important. And B, you know, year one, uh, you're you're playing with kind of a, a mash unit in terms of like guys who effectively fit in, and this goes for both sides of the ball. But um, it's you're, we're just gonna have to get through this year. I, I think it's gonna be way more fun than probably any part of the Schaefer tenure aside from like winning the the Texas Bowl. Um, but it, there are gonna be times where things just look really bad, and that's just part of a drastic coaching change. And that's you know that sucks. But then you think about you know, our last coaching transition was designed to uh, limit all of the adjustments needed, and it just didn't work out that way. So sometimes you just need a hard reset, and that's definitely what we're going through. So uh, my hope is, is, A, that, you know, Syracuse plays well, and, and I think they will be just better off in general, but also that, like, our, our fans just keep a level head about everything and understand, like, the whole situation this season. Um, I... I'm glad that we, we beat Colgate pretty uh, pretty soundly, and I think people are getting excited. Hopefully there's a nice turnout on Friday. But I just hope that if Louisville does come in and, like, absolutely whoop Syracuse, it doesn't undo everything. We don't start to doubt, like, just those awful people who don't have context or are just out there to try to drag down, um, you know, other fans who are trying to stay excited. Uh, it's just going to be a work in progress, and hopefully everyone... I know it's, it's, it's hard to stay patient after so many years of, of kind of being in, in that rut. Uh, but it, it's going to, I think it will pay off uh, in a year or two. Could not agree more as someone who has been very, very uh, much on the Babers train since day one, uh, as have you. Um, so Dan, I guess prediction time. What are we looking at for Friday? Um, I know both of us are more on the realist end of, uh, of the scale, but um, has any thought of, of an upset crept into your mind here? Uh, I don't think it would be that crazy. Um, obviously, this is, you know, it's not, it's not Alabama. It's Louisville. They're, they're a team that's, you know, been very good for, for a while now. Um, Petrino stepped in, and, and they didn't really uh, lose a ton after losing Charlie Strong. Um, but they're, they're definitely not in that top tier of teams, probably not even in the second tier, but they're, they're a very good, pretty consistent, like, top 25 team now, and that's not a team that Syracuse is beating all the time. Um, I will say that it's going to probably be a shootout, um, or something resembling a shootout, which I, I far prefer to a rock fight, 
uh, if you're going to have a, a game that's in one of those two extremes. I'll go, uh, I'll go Louisville uh, 48-31. Um, I think Syracuse will keep it close into the third. I think Jackson will kind of pull away mid-third quarter, and there'll be a lot of points on the board, and hopefully people enjoy that if they can't enjoy a Syracuse win. Agreed. Um, unfortunately, because of the lack of a run game, because I think Louisville's going to exploit that, um, and because I do think that their superiority on defense is really going to help them out a lot, um, I'm seeing 49-27. So that might seem like a shitty prediction, considering that last year we lost by 24 um, and, and looked largely outclassed. Um, I think SU keeps it close for a quarter and a half or maybe the full uh, kind of half but uh you know after that i just think that maybe the talent gap catches up to su um maybe a couple turnovers occur i mean while i did like what dungy was doing and i did like what the offense was doing um i I do think that you know a better team probably exploits a lot of those weaknesses better than colgate could Uh, i think on the defensive end same deal i think the defense allowed a lot of things to happen that they would have been punished for by a better team um, so, you know what, I don't think this is damning to Babers. I don't think this is damning to the new system or the coaching staff. Um, I just think that, you know what, they're not ready just yet. Um, and a 22-point loss in this with this offense is going to happen from time to time. But it's going to look competitive and a lot more competitive than last year's game was. Um, so I'm happy, to, I'm happy to take some lumps against Louisville early if it could potentially mean... Um, you know, an easier win against maybe NC State later in the year, um, maybe a win over USF. Um, that's really going to matter uh, this month. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take the loss um, in exchange for some lessons learned. I think. I like I like that we're treating it like it's a uh, like a teenage like uh, rom com. Like we we had some, we had some laughs. We learned some lessons. We learned about growing up. And good time was had by all. Good time was had by all, and we'll 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 end up driving that car into the sunset with the with the girl that we should have <laughs> we should have seen all along. Yes, is Dino Babers our Molly Ringwald? <laughs> <laughs> he is now. <laughs> all right, so uh, looking at because Dan and I do care about other things in college football, and because this game, while we I think we did dive into it quite a bit. Um, is just a footnote on the larger college football story of this week. Um, this one Honestly, this might be one of the better games of this week, to be honest. Like, yeah, you're kind of right. This week kind of sucks. <laughs> this week does suck. I know uh, Shutdown Fullcast kind of covered this at length, that how bad the uh, this week would suck. But uh, looking at maybe some of the other games, well, first... Before we get to one of the other games, um, as everyone knows, we have a couple teams that we... Well, not a couple. I'd say a significant portion of teams that we do cheer for or against um, on a weekly basis that have nothing to do with Syracuse. One of them is Houston. And I have to say, you and I were on the Houston train, but, like, we could see how it could go south. I can't see how it goes south anymore. I am, I am all aboard... Houston did everything they were supposed to do to Oklahoma and more to win that game. And they have now established themselves as a team that should be in a power conference, has the talent to play in a power conference, and is going to put themselves in position to play in the playoff against power conference teams by end of the year. Yeah. The only, and, and this is a stupid thing to have a reservation over because college football changes so wildly from year to year. Um, you can actually just see that, like, look at Texas Notre Dame 2015-2016. Totally different game, separated by, like, 11, less than 12 months. Um, the only real reservation I have is that Houston lost to UConn last year. And Houston, what I think they, they will definitely look better this year, and I think a lot of that is you, know, you have a full uh, Tom Herman recruiting class, and he's been doing an amazing job. And the system, like, the fact they were as good last year as they were is really crazy. Um, and I... I thought there was a chance that their record might actually get worse, but they would get better. Um, I know Bill Tonnelly's stats, like, kind of strangely didn't love Houston uh, last year. I think they were, like, outside of his top 25 and uh, F-plus even. Um, but, I mean, you don't just beat Oklahoma like that if you're not good. Like, it wasn't like they snuck out, like, uh, you know, they ran off of trick plays and snuck out a crazy win. Like, they looked like a team that was just as good as Oklahoma and had close to t- uh, the same amount of talent and... 
executed better, and they just beat the hell out of them, especially in the second half. Um, yeah, I, I think they're for real. I mean, they're going to be heavily favored probably in every game here on out. Um, I, I am super interested to see what happens if they run the table now. Um, I Part of me thinks that they'll somehow get screwed if they're just four one-loss uh, power fives and they just don't don't get the benefit of the doubt. But, man, like, and I'm not even sure if I'm, like, as a Syracuse fan, I'm not even sure if we should be rooting for them to uh, make it in uh, outside of the power five. Like, you can argue both ways, honestly. Um, but it, you, you can't not be impressed. I, I honestly think, like, Tom Herman... Might be uh, he's. I would struggle to find ten coaches I would rather have right now in college football. Um, he's just done an unbelievable job. He, he landed a pretty good situation. Like they were a, a solid team when he got there. Um, he's turned them into so much more. And uh, Big Twelve. I mean, come on. Like, really? Are we? Why, why are we even talking to like ten other teams? Like, I get if they're not. I get if you have reservations about them as a fit in terms of like what they bring off the field. But the on the field is so far beyond what every other team that's applying for uh, for or that's trying to get into that league is at this point. Um, and they seem as committed as they can possibly be to keep Herman. Now, if LSU comes knocking or Texas, like if Strong falls apart and Texas comes knocking, it might be too, like, just impossible. But, like, they, they, they have that commitment. Um, I know they don't bring, like, a new state or anything, but, like, it, it's it's so hard to, to really pose an argument that Houston should not be one of those two or four teams that they add. Yeah, I mean, and we, we said this kind of on Twitter jokingly. Like, if they don't, then the ACC is going to add them, and and then you're going to be looking at a four-deep at minimum ACC that probably has a can easily lay a claim to be one of the best three leagues in the country, if not top two, depending on the year and depending on how the middle of the conference comes along, which, to be honest, right now seems like it's coming along pretty well. I don't honestly know how the ACC would justify adding them, but I if if I if they did it, I I, I would applaud it. Um, obviously, the forever uh, the consideration with the ACC is you know what does Notre Dame say? Um, but if Notre Dame, I mean, if that was a thing that was signed off on, and like if they added Houston tomorrow, from the Big Twelve's nose, like I would have a hard time. I think it would be a better addition for the ACC than it would be for the Big Twelve, to be honest. Um, I don't think that will happen, though. It just seems too far-fetched, and the ACC, obviously, they, they work in the shadows, but uh, there are, like, no rumblings of the ACC looking at teams right now. So, we'll see. Yeah, but the problem is, like, the Big 12's stupid. I think that even they could potentially pass on Houston after what they did to Oklahoma. Because I do think that the, the fear from your Oklahoma States and your Iowa States and your Kansas, though that's going to outweigh anything that Texas says to get them into the league. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that the Big 12 is stupid. And like the conventional wisdom should be adding the best possible programs to make the most competitive league, to add the best product. And that would be Houston for sure, at least at this moment. Um, I just don't know that those teams have the pull, but I totally get why they wouldn't want them in. Because, like, why Why would Iowa State or Kansas want another loss added to their schedule? Well, they don't even need the pull. Um, I'm just talking about I'm just talking about the pure votes. That you need 8 out of 10 to, to pass this thing across the line. And I just, I just don't think they're going to be able to convince these smaller teams who, who you know, spend time cleaning up Oklahoma and Texas's seconds to, to pull together quality classes, I just don't think that, that you could convince them in any world to invite another, like you said, another loss onto the schedule. Yeah, I guess my argument against that would be that they're already getting out recruited by Houston, right. um, <laughs> as are a lot of teams, as, are, as a Syracuse, to be honest. Um, and obviously that doesn't last if Herman leaves and they don't make another slam dunk hire, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to, if, if I'm Bob Bowlesby, which thank God I'm not, um, I think you have to push people to just make the best move for the league as a whole, because at the end of the day, a healthier Big 12 in totality is going to be better for Iowa State and Kansas and Kansas State and West Virginia and everyone else. But I, I would understand their hesitancy. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always been in the mindset that, you know, the rising tide and all that. Um, but yeah, it really just depends on what leadership thinks there. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of folks have said, you know, don't think like a fan, think like a, uh, you know, a, a school president. Um, and it just really depends on what the school presidents see in the University of Houston and its affiliation with, with them that, uh, that they don't see um, in some of the other contenders. And I think, you know, if University of Houston is, is one of the teams, I think that seals the deal that UConn is not, um, at least from my vantage point. If, I think the only way Cincinnati, Houston gets in is if, oh, sorry. The only way UConn gets in is if Houston isn't in. Because there is no world in which Houston and UConn are the two teams. Yeah, it seems like UConn would almost only be paired with Cincinnati. Correct. That's the the only, only, only way that works. Because they're not going to pair them with BYU because then you add a second outlier to an already outlier-ridden conference. Yeah, it just... I don't want to make this whole thing about realignment, but... Uh, you can't convince me that, uh, that that we look at some Houston UConn league or some BYU UConn league. So yeah, it's uh, Houston. Houston might have just taken the Huskies' hopes off the table if the Huskies hadn't already done so with their uh, their tightrope walk against uh, Maine. I will say, if you take UConn over Houston in a decision that is mostly about football. You deserve to burn. Yeah, it's just come on. And I'm not even saying that as a like a anti-UConn person or a person that grew up in Connecticut and gets annoyed by UConn fans very easily. Like the decision is very obvious uh, at this point in time. Not even it's not even like a huge consideration I think you should have to have. Yeah. But we'll see what they do. I don't think they're gonna take UConn. It just doesn't seem like UConn has any momentum. No, could not agree more. Um so, looking quick at the schedule, maybe we talk about a game or two. Um, all these games are trash, as we already established. That said, I could find redemption in a few of them. One of them is Virginia Tech, Tennessee, and I am taking Virginia Tech at this point. I was already considering it before the thing that Tennessee almost did last week, um, and now I'm all aboard. The Hokies are going to win this game. I can't join you there as much as I'd like to. Uh, I yeah, Tennessee looked bad. They should, probably should have lost to Appalachian State. Um, Virginia Tech didn't look great in their game. I think who they play Liberty. Mm, that sounds right, but let me double check. Uh, they played FCS South uh, from NCAA football. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was Liberty. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Like I know they ended up pulling away. Like that was a close game for a while. Um, I just I think Tennessee is going to kind of grit their teeth. I, I expect this to be a closer game than probably Tennessee fans want to admit. Uh, wouldn't even shock me if it's like a one touchdown game into the fourth. I just think Tennessee has uh, more talent. Um, Virginia Tech still enough have to find itself. So um, I, I welcome me I welcome being wrong here because Tennessee losing to Virginia Tech in week two would be hilarious, um, considering the infinite hype that Tennessee entered the season with. Um, I just, I struggle to see Virginia Tech being the team to knock them off. If it was another, like, above-average P5 team, I think I would I would be right on board with you. I just think Virginia Tech probably is uh, a couple weeks away from being in a spot where they're going to beat a team like that. Um, but I could definitely be wrong, and if I am, like, I will be on Twitter yucking it up with everyone else. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee should have lost to App State. I think App State just chickened out a little bit. In that game, they I, pulled like a kind of a Jacksonville State against Auburn last year. Like not quite as bad in terms of like playing not to win at the end, but like similar, some some similar aspects. Yeah, I mean the Mountaineers, no, not the same coach or the same players, but or the same venue. But you know, App State had every opportunity to really pull off a historic upset. Um, I was rooting for it. I think most people outside of Knoxville were. Um, so much. I think a lot of people turned on Tennessee very quickly because they really did play like absolute trash. Um, I do. I wasn't on the Tennessee train to begin with. Now I am 100% off of it. And between that and Florida's kind of sleepwalk through a UMass game, that I don't know, understand how or why. But uh, yeah, I, I I've already switched my SEC East pick to Georgia. 
Yeah, I think that's got to be the dogs. Look at Nick Chubb. Back from, like, a ridiculous knee injury, running for 222 yards against, you know, not a great UNC defense, but at least, like, a pretty talented game team. And he just ran right through them like he was never hurt. Yeah. Granted, UNC's defense is, eh. and Gene, It's not great. Gene Chizik probably should have jumped to, an, to a G5 job because I don't think he's going to get much work after this season. That's possible. Um, but Gene Chizik get, uh, has gotten work in situa- out of situations where you wouldn't believe he would, like being a below-average coach at Iowa State uh, and getting a Hubbard job. So there you, go. you never know with him. He, he, can, he, he finds his way. Yeah. Surprise work, the Gene Chizik story. 30 <laughs> for 30. What if I told you that someone that you never coach anywhere coached everywhere? What if I told you that that individual has won a national championship? And what if I told you that less than 10 years later, he was coaching at a high school? 30 for 30 presents surprise work, the Gene Chizik story. I like that. I feel like the Auburn job just poisons people now because, like, it was very easy with Gene Chizik to point to, like, oh, that was Malzahn's offense that won him that title, so we were going to hire Malzahn, and that worked out great for, like, a couple years. But now Malzahn, Malzahn looked like he had never touched a football game before on Saturday. His quarterback rotations were the weirdest, most nonsensical thing I've seen in a long time. Um, from and he still almost won from a but from a coach who I thought was like a really good coach not that long ago long ago and he just could not like though the way they were switching quarterbacks was so crazy and so self destructive um like I don't even know what to think of Gus Malzahn anymore honestly and like three years ago I thought Gus Malzahn was probably a top five coach so yeah the Auburn job I don't know if, I don't know if just being in that much of a shadow of another program and having your fans be like and your program just be that dead on and like beating Alabama and getting back at Alabama I, maybe that's just like a poisonous reality eh, yeah I buy it alright and this has been John and Dan psychoanalyze uh, college football <laughs> far beyond any any rational level see me um, alright one more thought while we're here um I know a couple other people have mentioned it, but I'm kind of feeling the Central Michigan upset this week. Uh, who do they got? Oklahoma State. Remind me. Ooh, um, I don't know what to make of Oklahoma State. Like an 11 a.m. kick at Oklahoma State. Ooh, that's it's at Oklahoma State. They have a quarterback, which is like always, you know, the first thing I look at. Central Michigan's pretty decent. I don't know. I, I think if that was. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that CMU has the has like the guys to pull it off. Like we we've seen CMU recently. But like, I mean, yeah. But at the same time, like Cooper Rush has been in college forever. That's true. They actually played them really close last year. I mean, I think. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. That freaked everyone out, and then we beat them, even though it was like kind of a iffy game. But obviously, there were extenuating circumstances. Yeah, like, I don't, like, I mean, like, if I'm just picking games, I'm not picking this. But, like, if you're telling me pick an upset, like, the, to me, this 11 a.m. kick, this is the game. I mean, it, would, it wouldn't totally shock me by any means. I'm trying to look for a game where I can match you on this. There aren't a lot of great uh, options, though. No, there aren't. Like, the only two games that, that, that speak to you are the Virginia Tech-Tennessee game and the Arkansas-TCU game. But neither of them would be like these like shocking things at this point, based on how underwhelming the two home teams were. The, well, and I call Tennessee a home game, team at the Bristol game, but like the the two ranked teams, because of how underwhelming they were in week one, I don't think either team losing in week two to P five opponents would really be that shocking. Here's one I'm gonna give you, and I I don't think it's gonna happen. But it, w- it 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 would be a good one, don't say and I don't even don't have say any. Virginia. No, 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 no. Uh, I don't even have any disdain for this fan base at all. I actually quite like this fan base, and I would I would almost feel bad about this happening. The ultimate like just gut punch deflation game. Akron winning like a ten seven game at Wisconsin. <laughs> Damn it! And we actually hate the Zips. Well, I don't care about the Zips at all. I actually kind of like. I'm a Packers fan, so it's tough for me not to like Wisconsin. Um... But, like, Akron plays pretty good D. Wisconsin, I'm not sold on their offense at all, and nothing about last week made me sold on them. 
because uh, they I think they scored one offensive touchdown. Um, yeah, like that, I, I wouldn't bet on it by any means. Odds are Wisconsin will win by thirty. But there's definitely a reality that out there floating in the uh, in the multiverse where Akron just drags the Badgers directly into the mud and uh, and wins like some awful like thirteen seven game. See, I just have to figure out if I'm still pissed at Akron for that goddamn game in 2008. I, I, I can't, I mean, I can't really blame anyone for beating Greg Robinson. It's hard not to beat Greg Robinson. Like, they, they probably didn't even have to try that hard to beat, beat him. Like, they, they won by two touchdowns. Well, yeah, and we also have one of the coaches responsible for that now, and I feel like this is like, you know, that stupid burying a jersey inside of a stadium so now we have Reno Ferry, so now we can't lose to Akron. Another great one, Arkansas State beating Auburn. Uh, would be great on a lot – just a lot of fun on a lot of levels. Did our, what did Arkansas State do last week? They lost to uh, – I forget. I f- Didn't they look like trash? Their own one. Like, yeah, they looked like trash, and, like, I never thought they looked like trash. Oh, yeah, they, they lost bad to Toledo. Yeah. That's probably not going to happen then. They, I mean, Toledo's pretty good, but, like – Arkansas State should be competing with Toledo. Um, El Asico, like, Iowa should always lose to Iowa State. No matter how good one, no matter how good Iowa is and no matter how bad Iowa State is, that can always be a stupid loss. <laughs> this is venturing into word-for-word word shutdown forecast at this point. I haven't even listened yet. It's, yeah, um, we pretty much ventured into the exact same territory. Um, <laughs> a game that... I mean... Oh, go for it. I mean, that's just how that game is every year. Like, that game exists in a different, like, that game does not exist in, like, the schedule or the the logic of a football season. It is its own thing, and it just happens, and whatever happens is going to happen, and none of it impacts any of the rest of the season, and none of it is impacted by the rest of the season. It's just El Asico. It's garbage. You don't want to watch it. The Shadow um, Realm. But, but it happens. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good. I'm not, I, I probably will watch it, honestly. There's, what else is happening on, on Saturday? I don't think I'm going to watch that. Wait, that game's at 730? Isn't that game always at noon? Yeah, I thought it was like an early game. Isn't that, that's like the noonest game ever. And it's at 730. That's how bad this weekend is. One game that I actually want to watch, just because I feel like they deserve to win in week one, uh, Tulane versus Southern. Like, if I can get that game... Which I might. I, I probably can, to be honest. I have pretty much every channel. Um, and then that's only for football season, and I'm fine with paying extra for being able to pull up a trash game like Tulane Southern. But Tulane deserved to beat Wake because Wake is trash once again this year. And uh, Yeah, who's worried about Wake now after week one? Uh, not me. Not, not a soul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact of the matter is, and we said this going into the season, that no team that struggles to put up points, like Wake, like BC, is going to be able to beat Syracuse, even if they're better, and those two teams aren't. But even if they're better, um, and their defenses are good, you, pace-wise, you're just you're going to have too many opportunities to score. And if you can't put up points, you will lose, period. And I feel much better about that game. I feel much better about... The BC game, and I feel much better about the UConn game after seeing what those three teams put up, which was just you know just hot garbage. Even though two of them won. Yeah, I mean, I, I, a lot of it's going to be my my predictions for like making a bowl or not. We'll see how we handle Louisville. I do not expect to be Louisville at all. Um, but if if Syracuse looks like it, you know it plays football in the same general like the same general level as Louisville in terms of like yeah, these are both ACC teams. Then I will feel very good about beating the rest of those squads, um, because yeah, UConn very easily could have lost to Maine. Wake very easily could have lost to Tulane, which is not a good team as much as we love them. And uh, BC probably should have beat Georgia Tech, but like Georgia Tech does not look good either. And that game was in Ireland, so who even knows what that game means? Um, yeah, uh, I definitely feel more encouraged about bowl possibilities after Week One from like across the board, not just what Syracuse did. And green, I think that's a that's a good place to end. It's on, on a positive note, um, at least. Yes, as this podcast always is. Yeah. If you've been listening to the Schaefer era, we were always so positive and always so upli- uh, optimistic about everything. Aggressively positive. Um, all right, <laughs> Dan. Thank you as always for joining. Always a pleasure. Yes, it was excited, fun to talk about like actual on-field results, football stuff today. Yeah, always good. And for folks, it's been too long. Yeah. For folks in the New York area, if you're Anywhere near the Carrier Dome, please go. 
I think that, you know, while I don't believe that crowd noise wins games, I also think that crowd noise can help here and there. Um, it would be great if SU had a, uh, a packed house for a nationally televised game. Uh, I'm sure recruits will be watching if they're not on campus. Um, I don't really think anybody big is going to be on campus. But nonetheless, they will be watching on ESPN2, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, besides that, uh, I'm John. That was Dan. This has been Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.